three, two, one, go. In London 2023. Uh, we're very, very, very excited and happy to be here. Uh, very happy to have like all these beautiful people join us and have you know listen to what we have to say, which hopefully it'll be you know some kernels of, of thought for the future. Uh, thank you to my wonderful guests for joining me. I have Mr. Alden Diaz Woo! and the incredible Caddy Guerrero, otherwise known as Star Wars the truth of everybody in the room. Uh, before we get started, why don't you introduce yourself to everybody so that everyone can, can uh, get to know you. Kari, sure. tell us a little um, bit about yourself. Hi guys, my name is Kari. You guys might know me as Star Wars Tia on TikTok, Twitter. Um, I hail from the awesome city of New York in the United States. Um, very uh, proud to be here. This is special uh, because it means so much to me being able to talk about where my parents come from. My parents come from Colombia. So, you know, being able to uh, talk about how this um, compares and relates to Star Wars and how it all mean, what it all means to me mm -hmm. and for Latino representation in general, it's amazing. So thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank, thank you. you. Thank you for saying yes. <laughs> Mr. Diaz. Hello, uh, my name is Alton Diaz. Uh, I hail from the not-awesome state of Florida in the United <laughs> States. Uh, unlike New York, I think we should just give it back. Um, maybe we'll talk about land back in this. I mean, there's some, we'll talk about Ferrex and things like that. Um, I am a Star Wars podcaster. I work in radio. Um, I used to work for Classic Rock. I've done a bunch of other stuff. Um, and in that journey, one day I got a DM uh, from this man here, who's now been my friend for a few years. It was uh, one of the only times that a cold message has ever immediately just had chemistry, uh, so you know that your hinge is probably rocking. Um, and then yeah, it the was just—it <laughs> was just immediately this uh, call to action of, "Hey, you're a Puerto Rican Star Wars podcaster," mm -hmm. and you said that in whatever exact terms it was. And then that was the first time that I had that. Oh, I have a responsibility that mm -hmm. I have not been living up to or fulfilling, and so thank you, um, because I'm very Americanized Puerto Rican, if you couldn't tell by the everything uh, about me, uh, and there has been a lot, I think, with characters like Din and, and people that um, are told you're not actually a part of this for X, Y, and Z reasons uh, that we've seen uh, in recent storytelling that has really resonated with me, and so I learn uh, from Goose and Nani and just all of our friends all the time, the people in Triad that couldn't be here, Nani is wonderful, and yeah. And a special shout out to my wonderful co-host that could not come to London because she unfortunately wants to be a lawyer and is in law school. <laughs> and Nani, thank you for everything that you've been doing and good luck with law school. We miss you, but you know, you're, you're always with us and we'll you know, we'll, we'll keep recording when we get back. And also a super special shout out to our ex-co-host, but Beautiful person, beautiful, one of my best friends, uh, Forever Mo, who will always be a member of the Triad, even though they're not here. Uh, they're still a founding member of the group, and like their presence 
will always resonate with what the triad is and what the mission is. Which kind of before we get into like the topic, it's I'm gonna piggyback on what Alden was saying because I think it's the most important part of what we are trying to do as a podcast, which is not just talk about Star Wars because you know there's so much more to to that world that I think is very important to inject like our points of view, not just in terms of like, well, I like this or I don't like that, but it's like, how does that resonate with me? And how do these stories impact and empower other people? And COVID was a very transformational time for that because everyone was locked up in their homes, so there was a lot of time for introspection. And during that time, I decided to brave, bravely or foolishly go into the world of Twitter and Star Wars Twitter. And besides noticing that it's a dumpster fire, One thing was very, very clear, and it's that there is a dominant presence of who gets the majority of the narrative, and it's uh, no offense to the fine people that will maybe qualify in this group, but it's led by white male, white male cis guys, and it's just Sean, <laughs> apostate. No, no, you've been redeemed. Uh, which, which, interesting for the 21st century, like where we have been in terms of representation, I felt that Star Wars, especially Star Wars fandom, has been very, very lacking in terms of like how minority voices come up to the forefront and engage fandom in an active way. Because yeah, all these other minority voice podcasts exist, but they are usually relegated, ignored, or sidelined. And at that point, I, I felt like it was important. My co-host felt the same way that we If we're going to talk about Star Wars, it has to be through the lens of activism, because everything is activism, even if we don't want to acknowledge that. And it's our responsibility to be a voice, and oh, not just ours, but all of us, I think. We have to be like a voice of the power and change that we want to see. And even though Star Wars might be a silly thing for a lot of people, it has a lot of meaning to a lot of us. And it says a lot about the world that we live in. And that's kind of been the foundational mission of triads, just like, let's have fun, talk about Star Wars, but how can Star Wars empower us and how can we empower it? Because it's a, it's a cycle that feeds into itself. Like fandom feeds into Star Wars, Star Wars feeds into fandom, and it's just a perpetual cycle. Daddy, uh, how do you feel about uh, fandom and how our voices are engaged with, have you felt like a similar, What's, uh, have you had no, a different no, no, experience? Absolutely. Um... I think there's such toxicity in the fandom that sometimes the the greater good voices that we do have in the fandom get so lost, especially for more marginalized communities. You know, it, it, it's harder for us to be perceived, to be heard, to be seen. And then when we do talk, it's like it, they, we get put down so much quicker than, you know, a counterpart of, you know, again, not to bring everybody down, but a white male um, talking, saying the same thing that I would say would be more respected, you know, and I've, I've experienced that, many of my people have experienced, I've, I've experienced that, that if I have an opinion, especially like, you know, on TikTok, Twitter, and they come at me so aggressive, so disrespectful, and once a white man comes and says the same thing, you know, trying to defend me, their tone completely changes. You know, so it's very hard, especially as a Latina woman, the woman period. Um, it's, it's, it's even that much harder, you know. So I think it's important, you know, with uh, voices like yours, like Alden, um, to be able to express ourselves, to have that safe space, to, to, to engage and um, get those voices heard. Absolutely. And it's, and, it's, and it's very important. It's one of the things that, that we were always uh, active about, like, 
during like the, the beginning of the podcast, like what guests do we want to have? And always the answer was just like, we're always going to try to avoid having guests that already have platforms and already are a, have a voice. And we've always been striving to like have like, what are those voices that are not being heard and include them? Because we cannot talk about inclusivity and representation if we don't include and represent those groups. Because we, we, we're done with the white savior stuff, like now we have, to, we have to save ourselves right now. And the only way we do that is by sticking together. And I think that Disney and Lucasfilm have historically not done a great job at that, but we want to thank them right now because I think they're trying to do the right thing and having, having us and, and other of our friends like Chase's panel yesterday which was incredible. It's the, the move in the right direction. So yeah. we need Lucasfilm to keep doing that, but do it harder yeah. because uh, we, need, we need a lot more of that. And to that point, our conversation today is about what does Latine or Latinx representation mean now for Star Wars in this post-Andor environment? Because before Andor, like the, the let's, let's be very blunt, the representation in Star Wars was very, very, very lacking. And now, like somehow we've done like a 180 degree uh, turn on everything. And we have like the three main leads of the three biggest shows, uh, The Mandalorian, Andor, and Ahsoka are Latinx, Latinx people, and that's incredible. So what does that mean, and what do, what do their portrayals say about our experiences? And obviously, like everything we're saying here is like our point of view of, of how we approach our Latin identity, and like it might be different from other other points of view. But I mean, that's why we're we're kind of having that conversation. Alden, how have you felt that Latin representation has been happening at Lucasfilm? It's a really interesting thing to unpack because being, you know, there's the curative side of fandom and there's the participatory side of fandom. And by doing what we do, credit to you and to everybody that, that puts themselves out there, what you're doing in having any type of conversation like this is an act of rebellion. And they will gaslight you into thinking that it's not that serious. It is that serious. It is that serious. If you see a child that is looking at somebody like Cassian Andor or Bix or Ahsoka now, or just anyone, pick anyone, and that moves them, then it is that serious. And this has been like my catchphrase for like the past week whenever I'm pissed off about the way the discourse goes, but there are people that think that Jaws is about the shark. And there are, and, and there are people think that Star Wars is about, you know, the violence, it's about the wars. And it's, it's not, it's like why, why or what moves them to make that kind of move? And so with Andor unpacking that of, yeah, we know where he goes and you have the really cynical view of like, well then there's no stakes because I know he dies in Rogue One and I'm very smart. Here's a laser eye thumbnail. Give me money until it's not what the rips you later on TikTok. Um, I, I think like there's that, but it's like, what would move somebody to do what Cassian Andor does? What would move Mandalorians to function the way that they do? And then in terms of Ahsoka, where it's almost that a unique example of now we retroactively look at their entire journey because um, you could have at any point in Clone Wars or Rebels uh, identified that character in different ways and imparted our identity onto them. Now we have the Afro-Latina lens for Ahsoka. Now we look back on Clone Wars, look back on Ahsoka and the Martez sisters. It's like, oh, is that, now that's common sisterhood. And there's a different lens there. Um, so like you said, it's, there's always going to be that, would it have been nice if it was sooner? Yeah. Would it have been nice if Jimmy Smith didn't have to put an entire era on his back um, by himself, yeah, it would have been awesome. But it, it does the heart good to see um, the way that it's developing and 
and you should always want it to be better for the next group. You know, there's that thing that gets said about these conversations of representation, like, why do you keep talking about them? And it's like, well, because you still have to ask. Like, if we're not there, we won't be there. We might not ever see that. But I think that's the point. I think the point with representation, diversity, and inclusion is that there is no finish line. Yeah. Because we will never stop because it can always be better and we always have to be uh, reevaluating and having the conversation always. So mm -hmm. when will the conversation stop? Never. Because we should always be looking at ourselves and seeing like how can we start improving and changing our realities to like for the betterment of everyone because society will always keep changing. So we always have to change our points of view in the, for the betterment of that society. And film is one of the best ways that we can do that because film is just a reflection of us. And once we see those realities represented, we can find acceptance in a world that sometimes doesn't accept us for who we are. Which is why I think Andor was so transformative, at least for me, because there's a difference between having like a, like an actor that might look like you, that might sound like you, but it's a whole different thing, at least for me, when like the whole environment and the world that is built resonates with your experiences and your cultures. And it's amazing to see that in Star Wars, because obviously Star Wars is supposed to be about escapism, but at the end of it, it's always telling us something about like our, our lived reality. Mm -hmm. And to all of a sudden, Andor kind of see the, the, the Hispanic reality, see colonialism, exploitation, uh, gentrification, and all those things. It's just like, that's, that's, that's my life. That's the life of my neighbors. That's, uh, that's my sister or my brother. So Andrew really did that for me in a lot of different ways. And I think we'll get to that more in depth as we keep going. But Kathy, what about you? Like, how have you felt that like Andor or Mandalorian have been doing representation and how has that like affected your point of view? Yeah, no, absolutely. I wanted to start with Andor um, because we've had this conversation before in your podcast, right? How uh, what you mentioned right now, how there's so much uh, that we can relate to concerning colonialism, especially in a, um, with the, the planet when they get inhabited and stuff. You know, we can relate to that because, you know, our countries have been through that so, and still ours, you know, so, so much. Um, the one thing that I wanted to touch really on was something that my friend Danielle has been a very big proponent on is, um, and that the show, that is my, may, maybe my one criticism that I might have, of uh, that the show didn't really um, address the fact that Marva basically kidnapped, mm -hmm. you know, Cassian. Uh, and going back to what you said with the whole white savior syndrome, okay, Obviously, you know, people are, whenever the, the, the point has been brought up, they say, oh, well, you just wanted him to, you wanted her to just leave him die? No, that's not the point. The point is that, yeah, she did it with a good intention, but it was still something wrong, you know? And the reason why is it would have been important for it to address, because that has been happening in our Latino community in the United States for so long. We still have a border crisis right now, where so many kids, unfortunately, have been sent by them, you know, by themselves. And so many kids have gone missing that they don't, to this day, they don't know where they are. And a lot of the times it's because the government decided to place them with American families and thinking that that's okay, or even just give it to them without alerting the families, not, not letting anybody know. And um, we had a recent case, it's not in, you know, in the, 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 the great thing is that even though we, you know, I know this is a Latino, but so many other POC communities can relate to this. We had just the one with a, an, a girl from Afghanistan, a US Marine, and his wife decided that it was their duty to save this little girl because of her parents being dead. And the family that she has were like, no, we're still here. They decided to give the adoption with no problem to them and take that little girl. 
thankfully the the you know the whole process was reversed. But we, why do we have to go through this? Why do our families? Why do our kids have to go through things like this? So I think it would have been great if they addressed this in the show in a way like yeah, it happened. It was a good intention, but what were the consequences? How did how did that affect Cassian? What the, was he mentally okay? Did he have any type of trauma? You know. Uh, we didn't get that, unfortunately, but it's something that at least it was shown because it's something that we know that happens every day. Um, and uh, I think that Andor is going to be very important in regards to keep showing, because I know in second season we're going to have even more of that, of Andor casting probably being more discriminated against each time that they see him because of his accent, because of the way. So um, I absolutely love that we got to experience that in Star Wars. Yeah, and it, it was something interesting. You said the accent thing, and it, it reminded me of something Tony Gilroy was saying about why one of the reasons he wanted to do uh, Andor, which kind of bummed me out a little bit. And he's like, yeah. oh, one of the yeah. reasons I want to explore this character is just like, why does he have that accent? And I was just like, what do you mean, bro? That's that was a microaggression. If there, I mean, he wanted actually, to explain it was, like, yeah, it's just like, why do we have to explain ourselves to you? We have we we, we have different voices. Well, we don't need to explain the, that, that, in that is like sort of the meta textual, like Marva Andor having a good intention, mm -hmm. and but it not being necessarily a total net good. And then look at Andor, a show that I love. It has the widest creative team yes. in the entire yes. thing. Yes. Uh, top to bottom, you have all of the Gilroy Nepo babies on the show um, in different roles, which, like, hey, guys, the rock star is a talented guy, and I appreciate the attempt, but, you know, when you have um, somebody who's, you know, of the, the Afro-Latinx experience, like Ahsoka is now, um, through Rosario's portrayal, I want to see that pairing with someone like a Peter Ramsey, where it's like he can relate in terms of the Experience and, can, and that that's so valuable. Um, again, we'll shout out Chase, uh, your wonderful panel yesterday um, on Star Wars as a drag. When you said you can immediately clock the difference between somebody trying to tell a story and someone who has lived that story, um, that's that's a significant thing. And even with um, someone like Din Djarin, when we were talking about the Mandalorian um, before this panel, just sort of musing about the conversations and the topics, he through his facelessness. You can impart anything onto him, and we know uh, the actor. We know who it is, and so it's easy for us to include him in this group. But not every family that's watching the show will. Um, and is that a safe move? Is it a cop out? Is it a is it is it? But is it a positive? Is it both? Um, you can hold both thoughts in your in your head at the same time, which I think is also the important thing here. Is that yeah. you can have strides, um, but they are you know, strides forward can still be imperfect. Um, which I think is something that we don't allow for necessarily as uh, an arts-consuming culture. You're either a perfect ally or we don't want you, or you've, you've done this perfectly, uh, or it's a failure. And we've now expressed these criticisms of the show that is still the linchpin of why we're talking about this. Exactly. That we still love. <laughs> the catalyst of um, having like, actually like positive yeah. inclusion, but yeah. that doesn't mean that it's perfect and we still have things to say about it, about how it can improve. I think those are the conversations that we need to be having because we can't just, just because something is good, doesn't mean that the conversation ends there because, again, it, it can be better, as Pedro Pascal says in Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> uh, for better or worse. His finest performance of them all. Um, I wonder what that director's up to. 
That's interesting. Um, they were doing us Star Wars? I, allegedly. But didn't hear anything on the show. I also think that with thinking about it, just like peeling back, just the thought I'm having in the moment, it's interesting too, talking about Andor and how good it is. Um, I am also glad that this is happening with um, The Mandalorian and Ahsoka and hopefully many more projects. Of course, I don't know the entire cast list of, of Skeleton Crew and um, The Acolyte, wonderfully diverse cast and everything. And, and I look forward to those conversations as well. Um, but I am glad that all three of these exist because you can also fall into that trap, I think, of, well, we're going to tell the, the immigrant story, then it has to be grim and gritty. And it's like, <laughs> no, I, I think that there should also be uh, dads carrying around their green babies and learning how to be soft because that's a huge thing too is that the, the Latinx parental experience is hardened and to demystify that and to open up has been something that um, we talked about it last year on the panel Anaheim and, and it continues with I think with this third season of our parents become so entrenched in their experiences through trauma and through pain um, Star Wars has always been about growing up, but then you get to Din, uh, who's a Latino man in his 40s, and it's like, well, how do you start over? It's just as important. Um, and it's really cool to see families being able to lock into that um, as, as, and see sort of a, a positive experience in, in family and, and how we can connect with people. And, Grogu is also Latin, we claim him. But, yeah, that's uh, uh, Jace. Yeah. Hey, how do you feel about uh, Din Djarin and Pedro Pascal's portrayal in terms of like, how you connect the show with, like, with, with your identity and how it represents the culture? Uh, has it done the same thing for you as Andor, or has it been like, a different experience uh, connecting with uh, The Mandalorian in that way? I think within it was just a start. You know, obviously he's not as fully immersive as what Ender is. I think we could, it, going back again, you know, it's a very, you know, big topic for me with the children and stuff. What he went through as a child as well, having to be in the, in the middle of this war and losing his parents and his family and then having to grow up dealing with that, again, like what Alden was saying, with, you know, thankfully he, he had that, that, that found family. Um, so that's, again, that's something that many in our community have experienced. Having, you know, in Colombia, for example, we have a lot of, uh, a lot of um, uh, conflicts between uh, different factions, uh, the military, paramilitaries, the guerrilla, a lot of, uh, having to deal a lot of with the displacement, people having to leave their homes because of the violence, and a lot of these kids, you know, having, to, to, to lose their families where they they are they where do they end up? The extended family has to, you know, now take up that job of the parents. And because it's it's such an ingrained thing, unfortunately, it's very normal for extended family to come and, you know, okay, take in whoever they you know, and anybody that has lost any family and stuff. And which is a beautiful thing at the same time. Right. That we do take care of, of our own. That it's that 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 we just don't abandon them because it's not my responsibility. I I don't know. It has nothing to do with me. So I think that in that sense, uh, Din's story resonated with me uh, a lot in that sense. And again, it's just the beginning. Andor gave us a much more in detail uh, look into that, but it was great. Because mm -hmm. that's one of those interesting things. Because obviously, we always want to view and interpret things and digest them through our 
point of view and our, and our experiences, but does that necessarily imply that like these shows have to imply those cultural contexts of, 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 of the person portraying the character? Mm -hmm. Like, does Mandalorian necessarily need to uh, uh, cater to like what the Latinx community is or the experience is, or is that something that we think, and this is an open question right for everybody, uh, that, that we put on the show, or does the show have the responsibility of like putting it out in the way that Andor did? I think that there's, again, I think the tonality is a big thing, like the spectrum of accessibility, because as much as I love something like Andor, I have been very open about the fact that I don't like that it gave a lot of people a pass for feeling, uh, you know, to express the fact that they're embarrassed about liking Star Wars. I'm sorry that somebody told you uh, that it was goofy and you decided that you needed the prestige television to feel good about it. But um, I think that there should be all sort of all manner of uh, accessibility um, in terms of how a, a child can lock into it because um, I'm quoting Ken when I say this, Ken Napsok from Force Center, that Star Wars is best understood by adults but best loved by children. So it has to be, that that's really important. And I think that like, there are times in Andor when I could tell that it's like it's losing, you know, my nephews who are, are black Puerto Rican, and you know, if, if that if that's happening, then I think like we should be able to have your entire range from uh, nubs who I'm also going to just claim uh, while we're up here. Uh, that I have no evidence for that. It's just it's just joy. I just look at him and I'm just like, yeah, that's he's, he's he would we put him to sleep on two chairs together while everybody dances. That would, <laughs> yes, yeah, that would be yes. yeah. uh, dancing too. From nubs to like resistance, um, and then all the way to Andor, I think that's important. But does it have a responsibility to uh, reflect its cast? I don't know. Uh, does, I don't claim to have that answer because mine, as we talked about, like Goose has been like sort of a mentor for me um, in terms of our own blood, which is a really serious thing to say, and we can unpack it later in the hotel. Um, but the um, it's true, like, nobody in my family, uh, ever took us to Puerto Rico. No one taught us how to speak Spanish. They were ready to let, um, and it's not a condemnation, you know, life's hard, it's busy, my mom was a single mom, um, and she didn't have time to be all of those things, but it hit a point where, I, you know, at the end of high school, I used to say that I was gonna ditch my last name, not out of cultural shame, um, but just flippant, just flippantly about it. Um, and I, because of people that you resent and, and different things, but when you came along and we started having these real conversations, I started to really contextualize, um, particularly Din, um, for me. So I, I almost wonder if that's my answer. Like, we should have explicit examples and then we should have the examples with some sort of malleability. You, we spoke about, I'm not sure who you were talking to, but you were saying that there was somebody that was like, oh, the Mandalorian to me is the Jewish experience. Um, which is beautiful, and I love that. I want to talk to that person and, and hear about it. But when I see Din show up trying to do good, and people are saying, you, "You've never eaten puck soup. You've never been here. You're—he doesn't have a drop of our blood. He, he probably doesn't. I guarantee you, he doesn't speak Mandoa, and he probably can't dance. God bless him. That—that—that um, that, that resonated. You know, like when do you get to um, say that you are? Home and part of it is something that I struggle with, so mm -hmm. that's my long way of saying um, there, there, ha there has to be a way. Right. Yeah. Uh, but 
and not to circle, not to circle back with like the whole accent thing that Tony Gilroy said, but it, it resonates a lot because I feel that we sometimes maybe subconsciously feel the need that we have to conform. And one of the ways that like colonialism makes us conform is by submitting us through language. And not just that, but like how we sound, how we express ourselves and how we have to behave. And like even in, even in my family, sorry mom, eh, like there's uh, members in my family that have uh, moved to, to, the, to the United States and in the United States they felt that they can't teach their children Spanish or that they can't speak in Spanish or that they have to change their accents. So. And I also realized that I was doing that in a subconscious level. I realized that I've been trying to change my accent when I talk to people. And I was just like, well, why, why do I want to sound like them when I am not them? I am me. And the me is like who I am because of where I came from. So it, it's, it's a pet peeve because it's a, it should be a symbol of pride. It's just like this, this is who I am. And this is which it was for Diego during the Rogue exactly. One cycle, which exactly. is why it became which which what in a way was a catalyst for for the podcast because up until then like I didn't even kind of put together like what representation even really means in the big screen and when Diego said that story about like the family or the dad I forget what it was but yeah. saying like oh that resonated with me because finally I saw heard someone that sounded like me and that blew my mind I was like oh crap that's right it's mm -hmm. like they're they're not there. And that kind of like opened the floodgates to being like, why, why didn't I notice that? And it's because we've, we've been colonialized culturally too, to be like, you didn't realize you weren't there because this is the system we created to make you feel like you are not part of it. Because they made you, you feel to a certain degree like, you know, you can grow up and, and love a character that is not representing you. Um, and that's wonderful. They can be your favorite and all that stuff. But you hear it time and time and time again from everyone from every marginalized group that I didn't realize that I was settling until I saw something else. Yeah. Like even in my my nephews who are twelve to three, um, when they saw Into the Spider Verse, I've talked about this a lot. I don't think they realized that Peter Parker was not their bag until they had Miles, who is them, and they left that movie telling me that they knew him. Those were their exact words, and I don't. I don't think they even understand what that means, yeah. um, but they will. And planting that and letting it grow and change over time is, is really important. I, um, I wanted to point out uh, what you said, that we've had to grow up finding ourselves, trying to relate to these characters that look nothing like us, that sound nothing like us. And we've been able to do that with mm -hmm. no problem. You know, I, like, like you said, you know, if he's with Spider-Man, you know, mm -hmm. even though he's white, you know, it was, it was something that they could resonate with. Mm -hmm. Now that we have these new characters that are actually, you know, representing, like, that look more like us, the black community, the gay community, you know, all of this. And uh, it's always a constant fight with, you know, white, straight people of what, always telling us, why is this important to you? It's not that serious. Mm -hmm. Why do you need that representation? I or they don't like it because they can't relate to it. I'm like, why is it so hard for you to, to relate to that when it was so easy for us to relate to, to, to something that we, you know, that wasn't representing us? Like, what is the issue? Right. Why can't you try at least? We had to do it. Yeah. So why can't You've you try it? You've always been going halfway with them the entire time, which to Andrew's credit, um, despite, you know, that, that faux pas, which I actually didn't know about until today. Just, what, a, what a quote. <laughs> My goodness. Twitter told me that he was perfect and he should be running all the shows now. Um, it, it was, it's, I remember leaving the Android premiere with you and immediately having the reaction of, 
Star Wars, since 1977, has been asking people to understand that it's blatantly political. And if you disagree with that, then you can find me at the bar later and we'll argue about it. Um, but Andrew was the first one that was like the Bernie meme of, I am no longer asking. Like, and, and, and that was just the wrath in that show. Yes, Those yes. first three episodes, like, when you get the uh, police dressed in blue, showing up overconfident, and getting absolutely mocked by, by the force of solidarity, we left that theater, like, just energized. Like, it was yeah. electric. Like, like... Like, Tim, the class trader who got gunned down for selling out his Latin girlfriend's uh, boyfriend. It's the weirdest throuple in the galaxy. Uh, he, that, yeah, you, you, that, that was a huge condemnation of the, of the fake allyship that you mm -hmm. see a lot of the times because he loved Bix on his terms. Exactly. Not on hers. He did not care about her people. And the second that he had something to use against her people, he took it. And that, I think, was something that the show led with very powerfully. And the fact that that was in the first arc um, yeah. was really interesting. And um, to connect that to something like Ahsoka, it'll be really interesting to see, because people for years have said, um, I think Ahsoka is this, I think Ahsoka is this. The Rosario fan cast goes back a decade, if not more. Um, there, you know, there's the Laura Harrier fan cast that people have wanted for a long time. And um, you hear things every now and then, like uh, rumors of, a, of another actress, a young, leaks and stuff here because leaks are scummy um, but it's like now that it's locked at least for this iteration um, to look back at moments in her character journey in world and to synthesize in your mind that animated portrayal with the Rosario portrayal and to know that okay if they are the same character then that means that this Afro-Latina woman had to walk away from the institution that claimed to care about her, that all of those things that the Ashley Eckstein version are now things that have an entirely different cultural context. Um, and I've seen that, you know, I've never lived that, but I've seen that with, with my mother, my sister, and our cousins, and the way that they're held to the fire um, way more, and then, you know, the, the Jedi are like, well, that was actually your test, and we meant to do that. Um, that type of stuff is, I mean, you spoke about it earlier at the beginning of this panel. Like, you can say a thing that someone else says and you are immediately held to the deepest, deep, deep, like, wrathful, just nasty yes. standard. And I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays. I don't want her show to be sad or, no, no, no. or, or anything, but yeah. <laughs> I, but I, I, I'm, I'm struggling like, with, with this section of the, of, the, <laughs> of the Ahsoka through the Rosario Dawson lens because it's being written by Dave Filoni. No disrespect to the man. Uh, I think he's giving us some fantastic stories, but you know, he's, he's limited by his viewpoint. And when you All are the three characters we're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. White yeah. character, a white creator, white creator, white creator. White creator. Yeah. But to, I mean, but at least with Andor, we had like a group, like we had a writer's table. There was like, yeah. even though it was white. Yeah, yeah, but there was, there was, Diego was, but Diego was executive producer. producer. So like, yeah, there, was, yeah. there was a little more inclusion <laughs> and, 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 and care in terms of like how that process will give us a product that we can start have, seeing more nuance into with, with Ahsoka, as thrilled as I am for that show, I, my concern is that because there's only one person writing it and his viewpoint we've seen time and time again and we've discussed it uh, through what happened with Tales of the Jedi and the retcon that 
he did. Like he's just not that sensitive to addressing the issues that now I think we as fans are demanding of the media that we consume because we want media to be better. And I think uh, some people have just gotten comfortable and just being like, you know, I'm up here creating my stories and I don't need to resonate with your stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that that needs to change and that's why we need more diverse mm -hmm. uh, writing groups so that those stories can start reflecting those realities. Right. Which sort of t ties in, just sort of answering your own question because you're so brilliant. The, the, the way you said about like, where's the responsibility? When you make the casting choice, what's the responsibility? When you put the show together, what's the responsibility? And there's sort of like, you would hope and want and we're not there and we're not in any studio, but it's like, once you do that and we start having these conversations about how does the character differ and how are they the same? What's the future like? Um, it's sort of like, you would hope that there are people, is that Peter Ramsey, is that Rick Famuyiwa, you know? people of color that are on this team that are going to be there is that the women on this team, like Steph Green, you know, we have that director's slate revealed, um, that are going to be there imparting their experiences and wisdom. I don't know. Um, but you would hope that you have sort of the clarity, clarity of purpose to realize that you um, don't know everything, which is, I think, you know, there's a, there's a problem with the, the myth of the genius creator um, that happens a lot where you know, you, you can drink your own Kool-Aid to a certain degree. Um, I'm sure you all have encountered a Star Wars podcaster before, so you're very familiar. Um, I would like to say that my first exposure uh, to to the just the love. Can you put your fan out? Just like just go go full bit. Just there we go. Just like my first exposure to this absolute legend was uh, in a refutation. Uh, video that you did, which I think is still your pin tweet, um, which was the, no, you don't speak for all of us. You're, you're, you're not in my community. Um, and I think that sometimes you have to put your foot down. And will there be uh, someone like you in those conversations? Yeah. There should be. Which is, I think, even going back all the way with George Lucas, um, he had people, I mean, we are, we've heard the stories with the original trilogy that people had stepped in to help him, his wife being one of those uh, mm -hmm. people yeah. that actually was one of the reasons that the movies came out and the way they did yeah. it, they were able to, uh, you know, come out as good. Because, you know, George is a genius with his world building, with the creativity that he has, but that doesn't mean that he knows how to apply it, mm -hmm. how, you know, how to make it all work and, and, and for, able to, for us to be able to understand the story that he's trying to mm -hmm. tell. You know, he's given everybody the elements and as you know, there are other people putting it all together to be able to give that good story. Right. And there's a reason where we have the adage, right, that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And it's one of those things with George where especially with the prequel trilogy, where he's saying like so many poignant things where he's talking about diversity and inclusion with the Confederacy and, and the and the Republic with the clones versus like a diverse group of people fighting versus um homogenized a group of white clad soldiers yeah. and like what does that mean for like those uh, axes of power but when it's time to like kind of execute some of those ideas it only stays in the conceptual level and unfortunately I think it's just because he can't he can't do it because he doesn't have the frame of reference to be able to pull the trigger to be able to like oh expressing those ideas mean that I have to reevaluate myself in terms of like how I'm applying my worldview into the stories I'm creating. And that's why like prequels, despite all the progressive ideas that are there politically, is still very whitewashed 
Yeah. A White Watch cast. And for every Padme you have, you have a Watto. Um, you end up with those things where it's like, because we know where George is, this is something I talk about a lot. Um, there's another franchise you might have heard of. We're here in the UK. I'm sure you can guess what I'm talking about. Uh, and it's like, because of the horrendous and just morally bankrupt actions of that creator, we are now looking at the decisions that they have made independent of that particular issue, um, different elements of that franchise as it goes, and saying, oh, was the call always coming in from inside the house? And because we know George's politics, and we know how George is, and we know how anti-fascist he's always been, and how um, anti-corporation he's always been, we afford him those mulligans to a certain degree in the same way that we do our, our grandpas that we love and everything. And um, we're like, yeah, Nemoidians, but also I see what you're saying. I do see what you're saying. We'll forgive you. Uh, but we're, I say, I say that, I'll say we're past the forgiving part. Right. No one else gets the George, not past, not that that's a real thing. It's, you know, being somewhat yeah. humorous about it. But we are in a place now where during the prequel era, a lot of those were big steps. You know, it's also the steps of, you know, like you said, that finish line exists, but it's a sliding scale and it's going to mm -hmm. keep going forever, hopefully well past us and our kids and our children and our children's children. And you want eventually uh, the idea of the progressive politics of something like the prequels to feel like, wow, that was considered big. Like, that's what you want. Mm -hmm. You want that to feel, um, you know, minuscule in, in comparison. Yeah. It's completely normalized. You want it to be yeah. like such a normal thing, which we still have such a long way to go before we can feel like that. Yeah. You know? Because there's always that, that's why, you know, again, people not understanding why we get so excited with such small things that we see in, in, in the stories. But because we don't get it, and we want to get to that point where it's just like a normal thing. We see a man and a woman kiss, it's not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, unless it's like, you know, favorite ships or something, but... Yeah. Um, we had a bee voiced by Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> and a grown woman doing deeds of some kind, uh, and yet, you know, this is not this is not our topic to speak to, but then we have to beat around the bell and send to Bush, because mm -hmm. why exactly? Yeah. Because um, they don't like jazz. Like, it's just, like, I don't... It's, it's, yeah. But that, you know, we'll let Chase run that panel. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, it's that kind of thing. I just kicked something. Um, it's, the, it's the kind of thing where they make you sort of, again, going back to the, you know, what I said about the gaslighting, like you get excited about something and then they're like, why are you so excited about that? And in weaker moments, I think all of us have had that, like, am I being loud about it? Am I being like, no, you're not, you're not. It's that, that is a, that is the quietest, and in a lot of ways, most sinister form of gatekeeping. You know, Ahsoka is one of the characters that we're talking about today. You will hear it time and time again from now to August when the show starts through its entire run. And until Filoni and Ashley and Rosario are all gone 100 years from now, you will still have people that say, uh, she's actually an orange alien and it's not representative of any person. Or, but, oh, I'm sorry, I watched her parents as part of an indigenous culture mm -hmm. uh, in that first short, talk about life and death and what it means and community and solidarity and, and raising children. And it, to say that it doesn't mean anything is lazy. It's bankrupt. It's like, yeah. that's how we end up in a place where, you know, celebration, whatever, 2025, 
We're going to still have the same. We're still, this will be this panel will be the same. And I'll be like, remember in London? <laughs> they're still talking about how she's just an orange alien. Um, but you, it's like we have to be, in a lot of ways, uh, bastards for progressive principles. Mm -hmm. You have to be really loud about it. If you ever feel like, oh, are they, are they uncomfortable with the way that I'm expressing that? Well, good. Because yeah. you've had to be uncomfortable uh, being the side character. Mm -hmm. I mean, they got to be Eric and Donna, and you had to be Fez. That's ridiculous. <laughs> no one wants to be Fez. Yeah. They're going to keep calling us aggressive. Mm -hmm. That's their culture. That's the way you're like, why, why do you have to be aggressive? It's spicy, and it's different. Yeah. Yeah. But I think, that's, I think that's the difference, though, with like what's happening with like all the, all the Disney Plus media versus what's happening in publishing. Because yeah. I think the High Republic is an excellent example yes. of what representation, the power of what representation is. And it's such a beautiful thing to see like the High Republic community in social media like feel empowered and be, and be able to be seen and be like, finally excited that something is happening. Which is why it becomes disappointing when we then translate everything back into like live action and animation to not see those things. Which kind of makes, kinda, at least to me, sometimes feels like, wait, so are you kind of embarrassed of? Like representing us, and you just like hide us in publishing because you know it's the least accessible thing for the majority of fans, which is the thing that we need to change. And I think High Republic is that first big step in terms of changing that narrative. And hopefully, like the enthusiasm that all this fandom is having around that publishing effort is going to translate through into the Acolyte. I hope because if Acolyte don't deliver on you know on all the tenets of uh, High Republic Publishing, we're yeah. going to have some problems uh, this panel in 2025. Uh, so what do you guys think of High Republic? Yay or nay? Oh, no, absolutely. Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, obsessed. I, it, yeah, it's been a huge money suck, and uh, I love it uh, dearly. And, you know, in terms of, again, these are this is not, like, you know, my thing to speak to, but to see um, Leslie Hedlund, you know, to be a queer woman running a Star Wars project and putting it entirely on her back solo, um, is wild um, and really, really perfect. And, and her coming out at that panel um, and introducing a, her wife playing one of the characters is, is playing Vernestra, who um, is, is just wonderful. Uh, it was really, really cool. And it's those types of moments that, you know, if we end our season two trailer, um, we start to see, you know, we see flashes of these different characters. Like, what's, what's the next step for them? Um, I think Bix is wonderful. I would like to see Bix get Bix retribution and not, you know, I don't, I'm not saying that she was a damsel or anything, but she went through the, the ringer Rigger. in that season and she, and she deserves uh, a little bit more, not more to do, um, because it's not like she was like some bit role. She was mm -hmm. beautifully profound and, and but um, something, you know, kicks some ass. Yeah. I love Biggs. That's the first time that I saw my sister. I mean, with the Martez sisters and Biggs, I was yeah. just like, those are my those are my sisters. Those, yeah. those are strong, powerful Latina women that like don't put up with anything, go to work, and don't take anything from nobody. Uh, so like it was again like why I have such a soft spot for Andrew. Yeah. I, I I see it like that's it. Especially like during the whole revolt sequence when yeah. they start clanging the bells, I think that was one of the most powerful moments in the show. And not just because of what was happening there, it's because when I, a couple of years ago, I mean, this is happening in Puerto Rico all the time right now, uh, but like during strikes back home, like usually people take pots and pans and start clanging them at night to like create like this, you know, sound of, we call it caserolazo, and then people just are banning that to create noise as a form of protest. And all of a sudden, Andor did that. 
And it's just yeah. like those, obviously, in a Star Warsified way. But when you start doing those things, it's like those moments where it's just like, oh, that's 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 me. That's my life right now. Yeah. And it's those moments that make you feel like media is doing something to empower you and make you feel proud about like the things that you're doing. So I totally, I don't know how I went from from Adria to that. I mean, it's connected, obviously. <laughs> uh, but I understand. Yeah, more Adria. She would be on your mind. That, that makes sense. She's half Puerto Rican. And she also is a fan of this very podcast, as we found out today. I'll say it if you want. You, you can uh, say it. StarWars.com notified us that she was, she was reading Goose's tweets. Um, and uh, it was very... That's what, that's what happened. That's what happened. Um, and uh, she was just so just wonderfully engaged. And mm -hmm. to see them really um, understand sort of the responsibility of their art and everything um, is does the heart good to see sort of like developing and everything. But I wanted to ask, you know, talking about um, where Andor is and where it's going um, and where Mandalorian is and where it's going in Ahsoka, um, for, you know, for Cassian knowing his endpoint, but for the other two characters not knowing their endpoint, um, do you think that, you know, and I don't necessarily have the answer, but does that limit where we can take Cassian because he is still, he still has a breakthrough to go through when he meets Jen. He's still, he's still gone cold at that point, whereas you would hope, and it seems like like the dip, oh my goodness, Keller, I'm back. Yes, I, yes. I just lost my mind. Sorry. My boy Chris got the monopoly on that. That is phenomenal. Um, the, yeah, the, the idea though that Din and Ahsoka have open ends, mm -hmm. um, does that give you pause or excitement either way that I know that this Latin hero uh, not only dies, but will only be at peace for maybe 20 minutes. Whereas, yeah. Well, it's Easter Sunday, and we know that resurrections can happen. <laughs> Either you didn't see a body. Depending, depending on the myth you believe in, I guess. Uh, yeah. I'm talking about Star Wars with Palpatine, by the way. <laughs> Somehow he returned. I don't want to trigger anybody. Uh, so, uh, no, I mean, I think, I, think it's, I think it's totally fine, right? Because now... We, we can, I think it's okay to close a chapter of something and then move on to yeah. like the, these next stories. So I don't think that that diminishes what we want to see from from Cassian. My not concern, but my expectation for season two is that we're gonna perhaps start seeing a little bit less of that cultural engagement just because you're opening the world and he has to engage with it in a different way. And as much yeah. as we love Mothma, you know, white, um, she is white, and it's like once he gets out there. Is that fish out of water stuff going to start to happen? Mm -hmm. Is that, uh, you know, he sent all of his friends and family to Ganji Moon, which, yeah. is, is that a thing we know about, or that's brand new? I don't know. I think that's uh, it's a brand new place. I, I don't think it's yeah. And it's like, does that mean that he now is going to have to give and take parts of himself with Luthen and, and things like that? Like, that's something that, yeah. again, not a concern, just a curiosity. Also, I think we, I can't. I think for me, it felt like it was so open in the, the situation with his sister. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to go back uh, to try and find her. Yeah. And it would be interesting if somehow he ends up going back to the world because we don't know. Marva could say, "Yeah, there's nothing there," but we don't know. Look at what's going on with Mandalore. Yeah. You know, we don't know that. What if he's gonna try to go back to see what's going on? You know, explore that part of his culture again mm -hmm. to find himself as a person. Because sometimes that identity gets lost, and we are lost as a person until we again get reacquainted with it. Yeah. So, the hopefully, I mean, home. that would be a cool. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. That return call stuff is so poignant. Like, yeah, yeah that, that stuff has been really, and again, it's different that he would, he would know Canari, Din does not know Mandalore, so there's, mm-hmm. there's a very different arc happening. Yeah. Um, but there's something interesting, like, you know, we've joked about, like, having Catholic moms, like, Latina Catholic moms and things like that. Like, <laughs> I, I think there's something with, like, Din leaving home and, like, being, like, I, I love you. Uh, I think there's Grandma. something there with, like, <laughs> like, he leaves and he meets, like, uh, you know, Cobb Vanth and he meets uh, Pelly and Boba Fett and all these people that change and expand his worldview. And then when he gets back, it's like, my house, my rules. Yeah. And I think that the armor sort of having that, I think that's something that a lot of people can relate to, that, that anxiety of, like, um, do, do I regress back into something and can we make better for our children? Um, that's uh, something that is, I think, a very uh, common thread amongst Latinx families, and it's a hard thing uh, to recognize because it's not, because again, it's not malicious. It just yeah. is. And how many times do you hear your, your aunts or your grandma or your uncle or whoever say, well, it's just how it is, it's just how I was brought up? I can't help it. Yeah, that's the way it is. I mean, I, I could do, I, I could say that experience with my kids now. Yeah. I was brought extremely Catholic. My grandma has a whole baby Jesus shrine like this big in her <laughs> Like it's, it's very serious. Big day, you know? big day. But then, you know, yeah. I... Yeah. It sounds like a Super Bowl for yeah, grandma. Exactly. <laughs> but other than the, the, the religious, you know, also the, the culture uh, and tradition of growing up Latino, Colombian, they have their own traditions as well that can be very close-minded at times. And, um, you know, my mother, thankfully, she wasn't as strict with the things like that. She's still, you know, inherit things, obviously parents still from the motherland are gonna have some type of you know resistance but now with the way that I am with my kids I'm very open with them I'm very you know I let them be who they are I guide them as best that I can but I'm not in, and then I try to you know because I'm very big making sure that they know their culture they know their Colombian they know the language you know the music everything but also try to find themselves that it's it's not necessarily something that has to stick to I'm not strict about it. I'm not going to put you down because you're not, you're not speaking Spanish yeah. correctly. Mm-hmm. You know, and yeah. it's very hard to do that with kids that are already second generation born in the United States. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, and thankfully my kids have uh, been able to uh, embrace both of them. Still a little bit hard because I'm still trying with the Spanish. Too. That's still something mm-hmm. that is really... I'm going to send them to Colombia. So like, <laughs> I'm always... I'm like, that's, that's something that I'm always... Are you like, telling them they need to go bathe in the living waters? Yeah, that's and what I'm like, saying. Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that I just, you know, just a little yeah. outside of Star Wars with the whole thing with uh, Miles, with her mom, like her, his mom started screaming at him because he had to be in Spanish. That's yeah. basically oh, with my, me with my kids. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, if you, if you get a... Back right, I'm sending you guys to Colombia. Just know that. <laughs> I wish I would. No, but I, are, you, are you adopted? Like, I wish I did have, like, some of that, though. I really do. Like, and, you know, I'm sure they're frustrated about it now because kids. But I get to, got to high school, and they were like, which of these three do you want to take? French, Spanish, or American Sign yeah. Language? And it's like, I wish that my mother had put her foot down and was like, you have a responsibility to learn Spanish. Yeah. Uh, I don't regret learning American Sign Language because it rocks. Um, but it's just, like, it's so easy to... Uh, lose memory. You know, Cassian has those flashes of his childhood, and he has his his weapon that he carried uh, on Canari with the other kids, and Din has his sort of tra- traumatic flashbacks and, and sees in the protectors and the paralleling shots of him holding Grogu and the Death Watch Mando holding him. Um, there's, 
we run the risk of without telling the story, then it ends. Mm -hmm. Like, it, unless we keep saying it and unless we give each other the opportunity to learn it, then it fades. And, you know, I think about the fact that, like, if I don't go to Puerto Rico um, at some point soon, then no one will have gone in years. And if my yeah. nephews don't go, then just like the further and further we get away from it, then what? Yeah. But that's a, that raises an interesting question. It's something that I've discussed with like other friends of mine. Like from right now, I, I'm, I was born in Puerto Rico, but right now I live in Chicago, so I'm experiencing diaspora, which is the I think very interesting point of Din Djarin's story, especially in season one. It's like how does he engage as as I was part of a diaspora through the Mandalorians, and with the Puerto Rican question, it's just like when that doesn't mean you stop being Puerto Rican. Like, yeah. There's always been this notion that you have to speak Spanish and you have to go to the island to be Puerto Rican, but that's not what, the, that, what that experience is for a lot of people. So like, that's, we, that's, it's an interesting world we live in because those definitions are changing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that we have to like, have, have these conversations so we can understand like, what the power of culture means for different people in different places. The only thing in the Puerto Rican creed is that we're late to everything. That's the only <laughs> thing that is established Across a wizard the, is never late, yeah, nor yeah. is he early. Yeah. Right, precisely what he means too. That's what I tell Whenever I'm like, and have a flag. You always have to have a flag. Oh no, yeah, a, absolutely. He does yes, carry the flag. We, we always carry the flag. Uh, you know, so those, those are the those are the two creeds that we live by. Uh, which is my concern, really, with like where Mandalore. Not concern, but a disappointment, I guess, with where season two and season three of Mandalore that Mandalorian has gone. It's like it's kind of abandoned, to an extent, at least in my opinion search of culture because right now he's just subservient to the plot which don't get me wrong I'm digging season three and and we're not gonna spoil it and we're we saw the episode that comes out next week who has, who has not seen the episode that comes out next week okay okay okay, okay. Oh, you're gonna cry you are going just to cry no. I will say you'll come you'll come back to what I'm saying and I'll say it's not spoiler there's a moment with Grogu that I wish we could add <laughs> into, in this panel because it is, you know, you know what I mean. You saw me cry. Um, that is exactly. Uh, Din has a moment of like fatherhood. That is, yeah. Just, but it's, it's yeah, yeah. Um, but I see, but it's yeah. the best, one of the best moments. Yeah. <laughs> in it, there's been that push and pull. You're right, and it's like I think that season three um, has been so contentious because we are collectively projecting our experiences onto Din as we always have, which he is by design. I mean. Yeah. Uh, Kerwin and Keith, the only Star Wars podcasters that matter on Father Son Galaxy, asked fact, uh, it's just a fact. Asked Favreau and Filoni about his armor, and Filoni was talking about, well, it's reflective for a reason. Mm -hmm. Like that—that's what it is. And, and, blank slate. Yeah. and can he break out of it? We don't know. But what is the way? Right? Like mm -hmm. we talked about, like what is being Puerto Rican? And that—that that debate to me is interesting. But it is one of those like, mm -hmm. like come on, I know you really like Bo-Katan, but like we gotta. You know, will he have the breakthrough and realize that he didn't do anything wrong? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because we were looking at, specifically in season one, everyone was just like, the cult. Like, the cult, why is Din Djarin being uh, brainwashed and uh, made yeah. to conform to, like, a social or cultural norm that is not necessarily, like, the identity that he's seeking for himself? And we've lost that with the redemption. I, I wanted him to kind of stay an apostate because being an apostate means that you have to reevaluate your place in that world that rejected you. Uh, and I thought that was going to be like a very strong narrative for his, his sense of belonging. Like, he has to look at himself in the mirror, and he doesn't. He, like, he's reflecting everybody else, but he's not looking at what his reflection tells him about himself. 
And I think that's a good place to kind of end because I think we all need to look in that mirror and see like what we want to see in ourselves and what we want to see in media and what conversations we want to have. And thank you everybody like for joining this conversation. Before we wrap up though, Katty, uh, yes, why don't you tell people where they can find you on the socials? Yes, guys. So you can uh, find me as uh, Star Wars Tia on TikTok and Twitter, and Katty Skywalker on Instagram. Mr. Diaz? You can find me at the Nova Hotel. Nova Hotel, is that where we're going? Um, drinking gin uh, cranberries. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, at that Alden Diaz, T-H-A-T-A-L-D-E-N-A-L-D-E-N-D-I-A-Z. Um, on Ox Radio Star Wars Podcast, going wherever Goose will have me, because uh, I love you and thank you. Uh, and get another round of applause for this man, please. Because... Yes. And we have been Tried of the Force. You can find us anywhere podcasts can be found or on YouTube. Just search Tried of the Force and you will find us. And on Twitter, and Twitter, Tried of the Force. You, that's, it, that's it. And on Hive, we're on Hive. What's this thing for five seconds? We're Hive. We're, we're there. But, you know, but, and, and Instagram. We tried. But yeah. Hopefully, this conversation had a sense of meaning for somebody. Yeah. But uh, yeah. To start one, not to end one. Exactly. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta keep, we got to keep those narratives ongoing. Uh, but thank you, everybody, and enjoy the rest of the convention. Yes. Thank you.